everybody. Welcome back to On the Road Again, a Winchester's podcast. Um, We are so excited to have you all here for our first recap episode. This is the first time we're actually going to be doing kind of our standard format for episodes. Um, And since we feel like there's maybe a lot more of you um, than the last time we recorded this podcast, uh, we wanted to kind of reintroduce ourselves again, um, what we do for Nerds and Beyond before we dive into the pilot episode. Um, Thanks for 150 followers, by the way. Um, We hope that we will be able to keep providing you with some really cool content over on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere. Um, Yeah, so I guess I'll start. Um, I'm Jules. I'm a content assistant um, and editor here with Nerds and Beyond. I'm Kennedy. I'm an editor and writer here at Nerds and Beyond. And I'm Brianna, and I'm also an editor and writer. So the three of us today are just going to be talking about kind of our reactions to the episode, moments we liked, um, little things that we noticed, little Easter eggs. And there were so many Easter eggs. I mean, I feel like we definitely missed at least like 10 of them because Robbie is the Easter egg king. Um, And then we're also going to talk kind of a little bit about um, the news recently that, you know, Tom Welling is going to be joining the cast, some of our thoughts from New York Comic Con. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun time and a little bit more of a, our standard formatting after our deep dive episodes that we did earlier this year. So I feel like we should probably kick it off just talking about the episode itself. Um, I personally loved that first chase scene um, with Samuel. I thought it was shot so cool. Like, I love Glenn Winter. This, a lot of this episode is going to be me talking about how much I love the different shots that like Glenn and his team pulled off. But I really loved it. It was it was felt like a old school monster of the week opening um to the episode it felt very like indiana Mm jones-esque to me yeah i really loved it too i like the way they kept him from the view so that it sort of to me it pulled me in quicker Mm -hmm. it made you notice where he was at the cemetery the different symbols that were going on everything around him versus just like focusing immediately on the character kind of like every other show does right away so I really love that aspect and the very Indiana Jones vibes meets Scooby-Doo vibes that go on throughout the whole show is just everything to me speaking of the scenery I really like the way they shot in the cemetery Mm -hmm. I think that I mean I'm like no lighting expert no camera work (laughs) expert y'all are gonna hear us say this like all the time but I just think that they like contrasted the shadows with like the concrete really well it looked really cool and you know when they came back we definitely got to see some different angles so starting off strong with the cinematography here it felt like a movie um it did you don't often get I feel like especially with the CW and with network tv sometimes it can be hard to make you feel like you're watching something that's really like grand in scale, like really cinematic. I think Stargirl's done a good job of that recently. Um, I think Nancy Drew has done a good job of that recently, but it's tough to do um, on a network budget. And I think that this episode really overall, but especially in this scene, you could see the level of care and detail that really went into getting like gorgeous shots. And it felt like watching like early season supernatural where like they did it all for $5 in a dream, but yet it still felt like really cinematic and cool when you were watching it. And then of course we go from that scene, which is like very heart pounding and action oriented to like a classic little meat cute um, outside the movie theater. I thought that was adorable. I don't know. I, I, like I, I know that they meet for real, real later, but that was, I thought that moment was really sweet. Yeah, I found the like little licorice thing so cute. <laughs> I don't know. It's so 
first of all, we're like all so glad to be able to like talk about this openly now. Yes. When we were recording our, our little preview episode that we did, if you haven't listened, hey, maybe go check it out. But um, <laughs> we were just like biting our tongues trying to be like, are we supposed to say this? Can we say this yet? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Like, and so it's really great to be able to just talk about everything out in the open. But the version that I saw was not uh, the completely updated version. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't, that was my first time seeing like the little uh, inserted like meat cutes and everything. And mm-hmm. I really think that it added something to uh, just the overall narrative. Like I think it just enhanced their chemistry. And I think Meg and Drake have really, really good chemistry, especially for, you know, being such a new show sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like obviously the casting directors look for that, but I, I think sometimes it's harder to like snap into that, especially when, you know, it's going to be like a romance from, the get-go so yeah I think they're doing a great job yeah I really like that scene it sort of added a soft element right mm-hmm. after something very dramatic and then literally right before that is John having these flashbacks on the bus and then he steps off and meets supposedly the girl of his dreams so it was sort of a a really cute way to like soften that and intro them like Kennedy was saying the initial version that we saw didn't have that mm-hmm. so I really liked that addition I liked seeing just a small little something between them enough that like both of them were going to remember it. Cause you can see the eye contact. They're both very, very good. Megan Drake have already nailed that supernatural esque element of like very small facial expressions and minute little details that make you pick up on it. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but to me, like the look on John's face when he like meets Mary's eyes, I was like, Oh, that boy's smitten immediately, immediately gone on her. And she's sort of like hesitant of, I could almost see the like, oh, he could be a problem for me. I liked, I really liked, and it was so subtle and and very sweet. And it happened twice this episode with Mary and John, where um, Mary reacts very kindly to John's military background. Um, Like when you see her in that moment and he's like, oh, I haven't had these in, you know, however many years. And she was kind of like, yeah, like it's on the house. Like, and it was just very sweet and very quick, but it was like an acknowledgement that like he'd been through something, which like we'll get to Millie and John talking in a little bit later. But I feel like it was kind of missing from that scene. Like you got this like moment with her where she was just so sweet and was like, OK, yeah, like like this kid's been through a lot, you know, which is just it's it's nice. And it's it's nice that they kind of made that foundation for their relationship. I do agree with the, the fact that adding that scene made it a little softer. And I think kind of was true to the tone of the original Supernatural because you would have a really scary opening scene in those Monster of the Week episodes. And then you'd cut to like Dean doing something silly. You know what I mean? Like there was always like that tone shift that worked really well. Yeah, I agree that they're doing a good job of balancing um, like the serious moments with the softer and sweeter moments and uh, humor as we'll get into. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that, that that was also kind of a good foundation for John and Mary to connect on, even if John didn't really know it at the time, because I think yeah. Mary like recognizes some of that hardship mm-hmm. um, in her own life. I mean, obviously the circumstances are different, but, you know, being raised a hunter, she's basically been raised to be like a quasi soldier her whole mm-hmm. life. So I think she just gets it in a way that, you know, like we'll go into it later. Like we were saying Millie and John's conversation went like very differently. it was almost like she just kind of brushed off the past two years in a way which like was obviously like a very important like part of John's journey and looking for answers (laughs) very a a very important part of John's okay so let's just get into it we can get into it because that's like that's the next scene I I had a I 
uh, I'm of two minds about it. Like the moment where she was like, welcome home kiddo was very sweet. And like, when she gave him that hug, like you could tell, like she was relieved to have him back. But like this boy just got off the bus from Vietnam. His best friend was just blown to bits in front of him. He just came from his funeral. This guy just wants one beer and to sit in a lawn chair in the garage his family built and take five seconds to feel like a normal person. And his mom, I think about two minutes in, is like, so when are you going to get a job? What's next? I think a nap is next, Millie. I think a nap and some therapy is what's really in order here. Like, so much I, it was, it was so, <laughs> the moment that she was like, all right, buddy, like, what's next? It's like, whoa, this kid just has so much PTSD that no one's addressing at all. That's true. But also, I think that Millie's like, no, like, I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> if y'all could, like, see our faces just watching each other react while we record <laughs> these, it's hilarious. But I think that Millie's kind of struggling with the garage more than she let on because she did go into, like, um, you know, that spiel about, like, hey, my husband upped and left me and then my <laughs> son did the same thing. And I'm just a single woman trying to make it happen in my family's garage. Like... <laughs> A single mom who works two jobs, who loves her kids and never, and never stops. Never stops. <laughs> this is our big sky Reba brain rot bleeding into the podcast <laughs> right now. That's what this is. I mean, like, yes, I, I fully understand and empathize with that. I do understand where she's coming from. I, I get that it's probably been really difficult for her to do this on her own, you know, but I, it was just so funny. Just the the lightning speed. With which she was like, buddy, you got to you got to figure yourself out. Meanwhile, this kid is literally I just got off the bus. I just got off the bus like an hour ago. I haven't even had time to eat my stupid licorice or whatever she gave him outside the movie theater. (laughs) So it was just you can tell that there's going to be some tension there for sure in that relationship. As much as they love each other, you can you can tell they're they're setting up a little little mother-son conflict which would it would it be supernatural adjacent if there wasn't conflict between parent and child at the same time that's just like a very mother response of like all right you're done with this chapter of your life what's next like (laughs) you're done with all the murder and the violence you're an adult i don't need to support you go get a job (laughs) what's next buddy very parent It's also a little bit, I think it's a little bit of like, she would have that mentality of trying to push him to find something normal before he can find himself in another situation where he's running off to another war or something. Because he literally was like, peace out, I'm going to go join the army now at like 17. So she's probably a little like, please go flip burgers, (laughs) something normal. But right now, Millie, right now, he can't take a couple of vacation days. You're not telling me he can't have- We don't get vacation days in the 70s. (laughs) And that scene rolls really nicely, too, into the next scene, which is our John, Mary, demon fight. Uh, first of all, I love, love the camera switch that they moved when they uh, come up on John looking at the at the letter. I love that. I love that shot so much. Um, I feel like one thing that changed from our original viewing of like the first version of the pilot and the second one is that they kind of added a little bit more action for Mary. Mary had a little bit more of a, a, a bigger role in that scene. I loved that they had the perspective of somebody getting punched by her. Like, I just really like that camera angle. And frankly, 
John's contribution to the whole thing, or we should say lack of contribution to the, to the whole thing, just really sold me on this version of John. I think it was this moment that I was like, oh, this, like, I like this kid. Like, unfortunately for all of us, I really like this version of John. Well, they just do so well of highlighting like what their dynamics going to be in like mm-hmm. a little 10 second fight sequence. You know, he thinks he's going to be the big brave soldier <laughs> and save her. And she's like, get out of the way. You're messing up my, <laughs> you're throwing off my groove. Stop <laughs> helping. <laughs> yeah, stop it's helping me. Intentionally punching him to be like, get out of my way. <laughs> I just Ooh. loved it. I like that they chose to make it kind of comedic too. Like they could have mm-hmm. had it be this tag team all of a sudden of just, oh look, they flow. They can fight together. And instead it's very much of Mary's in her mindset of what she's doing. Mm-hmm. John is in her way. That's yeah. it. And it turns into this really hilarious moment. And I like that they went comedy with it versus, you know, dramatic fight scene. Yeah, and, I think that's also Drake's way of trying out a little bit of physical comedy without yeah. having to eat burgers all the time as Jensen has more <laughs> against. Blend. I feel like that was some behind the scenes of like, don't be good at eating. Whatever you don't choose do to it. do, don't do it. <laughs> even he said that at the at the New York Comic Con panel, even he made a little joke out of it. He was like, and you'll be stuck for 15 years loving <laughs> your face on camera. A different kind of PTSD. <laughs> the trauma of eating. Uh, trauma of eating on camera for 15 years. I, 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 it was really, I like that moment. I loved, um, the moment with, um, I keep calling Mary Meg mentally and I should probably stop doing that, but I loved when Mary had the demon in the water and the way that they played that moment where you find out, Oh, who's Maggie? Like who's, who's this other character that we're hearing about for the first time. And like, I feel like it gave Mary a little bit more of like a darker backstory to her like you're like she's already lost somebody to this like you can kind of see why she doesn't want to be hunting anymore and kind of like in a way like even though John has seen really horrific things like he obviously just lost his best friend too and he was over in Vietnam and saw combat and everything like it kind of feels like this whole episode that he's sort of like we're going on an adventure it's time to hunt some monsters and Mary's like I have seen people die John and so like that little moment of like, oh, she ju- literally also just lost somebody too. I, I liked that, the way that it kind of connected the two of them even more. I like that that little bit of like Mary had the foresight to like, hey, there's this bucket of water. I'll probably need a demon here. I'm going to have someone bless it. It's because she's a good hunter. It's because she's good at her job. Even much like a certain Dean Winchester, she's good at her job, even if she sort of hates her job. And another scene that they actually added um, between the original pilot and this one is the scene with the two of them walking to the Men of Letters bunker, um, which I thought was another, like kind of what we said before, it was another good addition because it was a little softer and it kind of showed off their chemistry a little bit, which I liked. Um, There are so many little Easter eggs in that five second moment. Like (laughs) you're you're talking, there's the devil's trap. They're talking about the Men of Letters bunker. Um, They've got the anti-possession charm um there's also which, a lot of aquarian stars like yes. hidden throughout the episode which was not the case in the in the original version that mm-hmm. i saw or maybe i just didn't notice it but i think that they added a lot more in there yeah no for sure i, th- I think that they really have been adding so many like little teeny like easter eggs and nods and things like that which i like and i actually appreciate like this is kind of random but i like that they didn't have them all with anti-possession tattoos 
Um, because even though it makes more sense from like a practical standpoint to get it tattooed, like for the seventies, tattoos were much more taboo. You didn't just like have tattoos. It was not something that the general population was going out and doing as much. So I like that detail that even though all of these people should have anti-possession tattoos, none of them do. And I also like that they actually gave an explanation as to why the demon didn't possess John. Um, that he kind of accidentally had the anti-possession charm. Like that made a lot of sense to me. And I was glad that they kind of threw that in there. Somebody needs to make them a necklace. Don't have a charm. Wear it on <laughs> no. Like Mary's at least makes sense the necklace. I don't on know. the bracelet. Mary's yeah. makes sense on the bracelet at least. I need her to like make him a friendship bracelet or, or <laughs> L- Lata to make him a little bracelet with the that's, charm on it. No, like, here you that's go. so on brand. Lata totally would make them all she friendship would. bracelets. For everyone. For the Maybe chilling in the charm. back of the van, braiding her little bracelet. <laughs> I'm just picturing her being like, you guys go on ahead. I have to finish making our friendship bracelets. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. We'll talk more about her later. I love her so much. Um, well, she pops up pretty much close to this actually yeah we're getting there we're getting there once we get through because this scene here when they go down into the bunker i really liked i saw somebody on twitter actually point this out and i think it's it's very true um the shot of them going down the stairs and into the bunker and then mary flipping the switch is very much an allusion Mm -hmm. to the first time that they went into the bunker on the show which glenn winter throughout this episode is just there's so many shots that he threw in there that are like a direct visual reference to moments on supernatural and i really love that like as like because i think we were talking about this before like we didn't we didn't want the winchesters to just be supernatural 2.0 like we do know that they're going to find their own visual identity they're going to find their own things that make them unique but it was really cool that you could just see how much time and energy went into making sure there was a consistency there and those shots really proved that it's like somebody went back and watched and said, oh, I like that moment. Let's take this from that and kind of make our own thing with it. I think that's part of what made it feel really familiar too, mm-hmm. was even if you don't particularly remember as soon as you saw it, oh, hey, that's mm-hmm. the same shot as this. It sits in your subconscious because yep. I know almost every one of us has seen probably every episode of Su- Supernatural at least twice, <laughs> like minimum <laughs> twice. So it there were moments like that where even if you didn't immediately recall it, it just felt familiar. And I saw a lot of people tweeting that of like, it feels familiar. It feels like the show we had, even though I know it's not. And I think it was that those kind of shots, the detail, let alone like in the bunker specifically of the set going on, like you could sit, I could sit there. I could walk through that set for hours, probably just looking at all the little things they did. And it was only what three minutes they were in there for that. If, if that, and it just really harkened back to Supernatural's detail. It made it so much more involved, inviting. What's the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for? No, no, you're right. Like that's it. It felt like a return yeah. to something. Yeah, even it drew it you in new. quicker. Yeah, even though it was new, like it felt lived in. And that's I think somebody also said I saw somebody else say this on the hashtag on Twitter that it kind of it didn't feel like a pilot. Like most pilots feel very much like you have to establish like everything like you're, which it's always, that's why I always give um, TV shows two episodes because I know how difficult it can be to get like a good pilot episode. And sometimes you just need a little time to find your groove. But with this one, it just felt like even though a new fan could watch this with conceivably not really knowing very much about Supernatural, I think the fact that it flowed so differently from a normal pilot made it a better episode of tv like it made it very engrossing from the beginning just all those little details 
And they've been super conscientious about this. Like, it's not on accident. They've been yeah. really vocal about putting in these details and these illusions, especially Robbie. Um, mm-hmm. I know at, at the Comic-Con panel, he was, um, we'll get to some of them later, but alluding back to the original show, but not so overtly that, you know, we're just like right back in the same show. We're still yeah. like establishing our own identity as a different production, like Jules was saying. But it's like those little things that are instantly recognizable that just make you it establishes like a continuity between the two. And I think that's done a really good job of drawing people in, especially people who are a little more skeptical about, uh, yeah. about liking the first episode. Yeah. It's so clear that everybody cares so much. Um, and that extends from, you know, obviously Jensen and Daniil and Robbie, you know, at the top of it, but also I think that you can see that like the production design team and like the, the um, music supervision team and just people like that who like very clearly, know this world and really want to do a good job. And I think it's really cool because it also, I also like the period piece aspect of it too, because so much of the little cool things that they had in the bunker were like time period specific. And I love that. I think that's really cool that they did that. Um, And I also know, I'm sure that if you were to like pause every frame of that scene and like, look at all the stuff on the wall and like, look at the things in his locker and like, look at the files that Meg and that Meg, oh my God, that Mary is like, going through like you know that if you were to like pause that it would be a really cool easter egg so that whole scene was really cool i loved um john having that little moment with the locker loved that line that he said that was such a great like callback to the original with um talking about um like sam saying that john handed him like a, a gun when he was a little 45 kid. but yeah. henry said don't worry son i know how to catch it. it's so sad it's, it's so sad, so sad. A lot of, (laughs) it's like, yeah, like a lot of the little references that they made. I mean, Mary had one of those uh, moments as well. That was kind of similar to like, I've had a, I've had a knife put in my hand since before I was old enough to know how to use it. It's just really sad. Like seeing down the line, how some of those like uh, generational things go, go on to still be present despite them trying to escape it. But that is the show I fear. (laughs) (laughs) generational trauma now with actual (laughs) monsters um and so once we leave that bunker we get a really awesome shot i i the first time i saw this when we watched the original i loved it and then to see it with the music and like all the proper editing and everything was even better the moment where we meet ada um in her bookstore which first of all i want to go to that bookstore right now i love that set so much it looks so cool they clearly put so much effort into that and i i just loved it but when she's sitting at the desk reading the book and behind her is just this wall of water i love that so much I, the other two are looking at me like please stop talking about this but i love it so much <laughs> that i had to mention it Jules like, loves her little cinematic moment i do and it looked so cool and you just know that like on the set whoever was shooting that was like this is gonna look so cool we should shoot it like this and it just it really worked for me i love the spooky vibe of it i like that we're kind of treating demons like dangerous entities again because i think i think by the end of supernatural we're kind of like just like a demon it's tuesday whatever but like on this show like they're still very much like dangerous um and i i love that moment and i also loved meeting ada i think she's going to be a really cool character yeah i think Ada's going to be a cool link into some of the other knowledge that we don't really necessarily have about this era yet mm-hmm. i also this is dipping in the theory corner a little early but uh <laughs> 
the EPs have been talking about like, oh, you're going to see some familiar faces. And I am such of the mind that like Ada knows Rowena somehow. I oh, think totally. That, that is my theory. Like, I, I think she's going to show up, but. They better. Because because you just know Ada and Rowena would be besties. Like, I Did just think that Rowena, they would. Rowena, you know, we yes. have to see it. We have to see it. Let's go. I mean, it's like Let's a go. secret section in the bookstore behind a shelf. You know, you walk behind the counter and you pull the bookshelf and the whole thing moves. And it's like, here's the occult stuff that actually yes. works for my witch, for the witch friends. Oh my God. That would be so Like awesome. that's Rowena's storage spot or something like that. I don't know. And, and I then just, f- I future it. spinoff. It's just a group of witches operating out of Ada's bookstore. See, look at that chaos machine. I have your next show ready to go. We're, we're already on to your next spinoff. We'll Instead be waiting for our check the in the mail. Thank you. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Um, so that seems brief, but very cool. Um, and then we get to meet Lata, Latika, our adorable little... I love her so much. She's so cute. I love her. Um, her energy just, oh. is so pure. And like, I if know. I were stuck in a supernatural world where things existed, like I would be her. Are you nervous? I'm nervous. I'm not nervous. Oh, <laughs> so cute. But just the way that she initially volunteered to John within five seconds of shaking his hand, that she doesn't have any friends. I mean, come on. Like, that was just so cute. Yeah, I think Lata is so sweet and her personality, just pure sunshine, which I I always think that's something that you can use in a character when the Mm -hmm. show is obviously a big part of it's going to be so doom and gloom. Um, You definitely need that relief. And I also think it's interesting to see her kind of start her hunting journey alongside of John. So we kind of have like two veterans, two newbies, um, despite everyone trying to convince them desperately to get out. But... (laughs) everyone's like Lata you're too pure for this world don't do this and she's like I want people to take me seriously she's just so cute I just love her and how she thought she might have been uh they might have been gearing up to kind of make her the the bobby of this era because it seemed like you know she came in I mean they were at the library but it it seemed like you know with her little stash of materials and everything it might have seemed like she was kind of like a little centralized hub in that area but seems like she's going to be in with the Scooby gang so we'll have to see I liked her little am I the only one who picked up on like a little moment between her and John maybe that's Drake's fault for just you, he's gonna be a Jensen are and you have the chemistry only with everything. one Brianna my ship I'm trying to gently lead it <laughs> <laughs> no the second they like made eyes at each other and then Mary interrupts mm. the moment and, and Mary like, turns oh, this is gonna be fun yeah, that little merry glance, like, ooh. Because mm-hmm. it, it works on two levels, right? Which is what I love so much about that look is that, first of all, she could be protective over Lata because she is. Like, we see that. And so she could kind of be doing like a, hey, buddy, I just met you yesterday. Don't you be flirting with my bestie. Or it's like a, hey, I met you yesterday and I thought we had a connection, but now you're over here flirting with my bestie. So there's two ways to kind of like take that, which I think is very funny. I'm honestly wondering, like, if, because, like, everyone definitely picked up there was a vibe, but how much of that was actually written into the script, and how much of that is <laughs> Drake just, like, being able to flirt with the brick wall, you know, I, I'm, I think a lot no, of it is really to blame on Drake, I think Nina also, she, her expression when she sees him, which I can't fault her for, because he's adorable, <laughs> and he's got the puppy dog thing going, Very like, down pat, but she's like, mm, who's this? <laughs> and I don't like her. Mary brought a boy home. What's going on? Yeah, like, it was very that's sweet. The energy. It was like super innocent. I do think that um and Robbie actually just literally just said this I think in an interview where he was like 
I didn't get to write a lot of romance on Supernatural over the years. So like, this is like my revenge for that. I absolutely think we are in for like a CW love. CW triangle. Triangle, rectangle, triangle. Whatever's going on there. I think there's absolutely going to be. Because it's also too, because we know that like at the end of the line, we know that John and Mary are kind of like the the point that we're going to end up with, we think. But I think it'll be fun to kind of have like these little like side pairings on the way of like, hmm, like maybe John and Lata really do are are better together. You know, maybe like maybe that combination actually would have been better. Maybe Mary and Carlos would have been better together. You know, like there's there's lots of different ways that this could go. Um, um, so after that moment, you know, we have John and Mary in the car together, which is really sweet and really cute again. Um, I think that was another example of shots that are familiar um, to fans of Supernatural because seeing Murph in the backseat of the car, very similar to Dean seeing Castiel um, outside of the car driving along after Purgatory. It's also a little bit like the shot of Dean seeing like a bloody Castiel in the mirror um, in that episode as well. So like there, there were a couple little illusions there, but I, my heart broke seeing um, the actual like flashback to what happened to Murph because you can just see that it really is still affecting John pretty deeply and also like genuinely the kid who played Murph like heartbreaking like the look on his face when he stepped on like the explosive thing like geez like that kid like really for for having very little screen time was very affecting yeah he was like I have I have one job and I'm gonna do it well like I will break your hearts in my two seconds that I am on the screen so I also thought that the way that they had Mary driving and the way that they would cut from Mary driving to like looking at like John saying something or whatever, it was really felt like being back in the Impala when Dean would be driving and Sam would be in the passenger seat and they'd be talking to each other about stuff. I really liked that little visual callback. And I liked that she, again, is really like the only person who's kind of like, hey, you doing okay, buddy? you've you've really seen some stuff in the last few days haven't you (laughs) like she's like really the only one who's kind of like I think maybe you need to take a break (laughs) and figure this out I like that she does actively try to like repeatedly talk him out of the whole hunting thing for more than just like hey this is probably gonna get you killed and this is not really the best life it's she's like (laughs) you need a break (laughs) here's the candy I gave you go take a nap eat something go to bed (laughs) wake up in the morning you know um i want to know where she got the little emf meter from because it looked so much more advanced than dean's little walkman Dean had to make his own kennedy that's why he looked like and he did a wonderful job but where did she get it from (laughs) that's all i want to know (laughs) she got it from walmart um that's (laughs) that's where she pulled it was walmart around in the 70s i highly doubt it i just i just liked that she was so quick to be like okay you think something's haunting you? you think let's like up? let's go. like let's like ground you in reality, which is like such a cool like like from a mental health perspective. Like that's a really cool way to have her handle his PTSD of kind of being like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm gonna validate that you're seeing something. Let's see if it really is a ghost, and if it's not, let's talk about maybe why. Like it was really well done. Like I, I liked that moment for that reason too. You know, aside from like the visuals of it, like I thought it was a really good moment to establish her character too and the kind of person she is that she looks at this guy and like very clearly cares about him even though she barely even knows him like cares enough to make sure that he's okay or doing okay 
Well, she gets it. She lost yeah. her cousin, who's only what eighteen. They said yeah. so. She she gets the trauma. I think she could see it in his eyes even before he brings up losing his friend out there. Yeah, it was really sad. Um, and then of course this this next scene, you know. If I, we could talk at length about the the moment of the two of them going upstairs in the in the library, seeing all the the stuff on the billboard, like the Bolton board of like all the different theories. I love that they had Kim Manners in there on one of the postcards. I thought that was really a nice touch. But it was the moment we were all waiting for, which is the introduction of Carlos, which Carlos. was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. The music was perfect the way he just ran that chick over with his van without a care in the world i that whole entrance was like an on par with some of the most iconic i think from the original show it was perfect and i think god i want to talk about every element of that scene i want to talk about the like menu the grilled cheese exorcism was phenomenal the water gun like the fact that they clearly have read the hilarious comments from supernatural fans over the years who were like just put the holy water in a water gun and they're like fine we got you (laughs) just all of that getting here i need to see it when so cute the the grilled cheese exorcism part i have to say i watched that like three or four times only because Drake and Jojo are p- so funny. They're really like, I, and we were trying not to like talk about this moment too much in our original pilot episode because obviously you guys hadn't seen it yet. We didn't want to spoil anything, but that relationship is it's just screams Sam Castiel to me in terms of its dynamic. Chaos. Pure chaos. Chaos, chaos duo. And that was just so cute. The way John fumbled with the menu the way that he was tr- so earnestly reading the ingredients, like taking it so seriously. It was, it was perfect. I loved it. And it really set up a nice contrast between like Mary and Carlos, which we'll get to in a minute. I also just think that it's been very apparent. I mean, Dee was very like vocal about this, that Jojo is just a star. They're so charismatic. And I think that that charisma leads over into every aspect of their character uh, on screen. Carlos is just a hoot. And I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of that from him. But even in the times where, you know, he was having those serious conversations in the the back of the van with, um, I keep wanting to say Drake, John. <laughs> <laughs> um even when they were having those more serious conversations, I think that it was very apparent that this is very much within their wheelhouse. And Mm -hmm. because this is Jojo's like first major role, right? Yeah. On screen, I think it's their first role. Like, And you would never be able to tell that in my opinion. I just think they're doing an amazing job. Everybody is, but. No, they just waltz right in there literally and just steal the entire show. I mean, and and not that, you know, Drake and Meg were doing fabulously and I love them and, and I love those two characters. I think they were doing great together. I just, you can literally sense from the second you meet Carlos that this character is going to be uh, one of those ones that every time he's on screen, you're like, yes, like Carlos is here. Like that's something, oh, something yeah. Carlos gonna is going to steal the scenes yeah. every time that he is in. <laughs> and I just love that, you know, we were all on the hashtag last night when it was airing mm-hmm. and everyone immediately was like, Carlos is mine. If you come after yeah. him, I write it on. Like, just everyone is immediately in love with him. And I I think part of the reason he resonated so well too was they didn't just put him in like the comedic corner immediately. 
Yes. They like, I think it just speaks to JoJo's range too. Like they so easily went from the comedy of Carlos with John mm-hmm. to that heavy scene in the van. Mm-hmm. And if JoJo didn't have that range, it wouldn't have read right. But mm-hmm. because they do just, I just shout out to D for finding JoJo. I <laughs> bravo. I can't wait to see more. Yeah. And I do feel like it has to be said too, um, just, just off the top, because um, there's been some confusion about this in recent days, but Jojo uses they, them pronouns. The character of Carlos, um, as far as we know, up till now uses he, him pronouns. Yeah. I'm pretty Um, sure they said he. Yeah. So, so if you see us switching back and forth between pronouns, that's why. Um, But one of the coolest things about this and, you know, Supernatural had kind of a spotty track record in terms of like queer representation. You have characters like Charlie, um you have characters like castiel who are very important um but overall it was it was kind of a desert in terms of that sort of representation and obviously you know robbie has said and jensen and Janiel have also said that the, the goal with this show was to do far more um and bring in these new characters i really appreciated and valued that carlos's sexuality is something that we just just know about him and it's just something that happened right out of the gate um and I know that, like, there's obviously the stereotype out there of bisexual characters who are just, like, sleeping around all the time. And that's, like, very much a stereotype that you see. Um, it's It can be a sort of harmful trope. I think in this moment, though, it's really much more about Carlos as a character being somebody who has a lot of these relationships um, than about any kind of trope. And I just thought it was really well done to make sure that we knew right off the bat, okay, this character's queer. Um, this character is very much a part of the free love movement that was happening in the late sixties, early seventies. Um, he fits his historical context very well. And I also liked that Lata, there's absolutely no moment that like, like there's no coming out. Like, it's just something we already know about Carlos. It just is. It just is. And she's so casually is like, oh yeah. Like when you were like kissing her ex-boyfriend, like it's not even so like, she's more mad at him. For, for being mean to Mary than she is about anything that was actually going on. Like, I I really like that moment. And I think Robbie did, did a good job of writing that moment. And I really look forward to seeing, exploring that side of Carlos a little bit more and maybe what it is like for him um, at this time in history um, as, as the season goes on. So our next scene after that, which I, is so cute. Um, I love a good Scooby gang moment um, is all of them in the van. Um, and you kind of have two different conversations happening. You have the conversation between Mary and Lata, um, and then you have the conversation between John and Carlos. Um, and both of those are kind of important for different reasons. Uh, you have, you know, Mary finding out a little bit more about Maggie, finding out a little bit more about how Lata got kind of brought into this whole thing, which I still want to know a lot more about how Samuel saved her and kind of what the what the story was there. Um, and then you also have John and Carlos talking about how, how sad being Hunter is, um, which is really depressing in that moment. Uh, what did you guys think of that? I, I I thought it was really cool the way that they kind of had those two conversations happening in parallel. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, Mary the whole time is just trying to discourage here i was about to say drake again um john and latha from jumping into hunting and i mean latha's kind of got one foot in one foot out right now just kind of in in between but you know it is that reminder of you know the the people who get into this get into it for a reason and it's not a good reason almost everyone's story 
ends in tragedy, which felt like a little foreshadowing there because we, you know, assuming that this is the same timeline and everything, we, we do have a fixed endpoint here for two of our lovely characters. But um, yeah, I thought it was a really well done scene. Um, all the feels, but definitely contributed. I really liked it for the fact that, you know, every pilot, they're going to try and cram in as much like backstory as they can to get you hooked into each character. Mm -hmm. But it felt very organic. Like none of it felt forced like it can in some pilots for shows. Nothing felt stiff. Nothing felt like, oh, here's the moment where we cram all the information at you. Like even with Lata talking about Samuel, like obviously Mary knows the story of what happened. So instead of sitting there and having her be like, yes, when your father saved me that one night several years ago as my, you know, like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. she wasn't going into the whole thing. She was just saying, yeah, your dad saved me and I'm here. And so then you as a viewer want to know what happened in that story, but we're also not wasting time with telling Mary a story that she already knows, you know, like it, it works for the character moment, but it's, it's just good writing. Robbie's a good writer. He knows what he's doing. Like this episode was very well written. Um, and I also really love the look of the van and I'm so glad that they have like their version of baby is going to be this van. And I am dying to know what Carlos has named this van (laughs) because you know that he has. So I need to know. And then we kind of get to the the cute part or the, the cute before the, the scary, which is them pulling up and seeing the place and Lata being like, are we sure, (laughs) are we sure we want to go in there? Um, I, that moment with her and John, okay, this is, I, I've been dying to talk to you guys about this because I, I I feel like there, I'm one of two ways about it. On the one hand, it's really cute. Um, and I love him being like, well, we can just be scared together. Like, that's like, we can just, we can be together and like, just being so reassuring towards her. Um, but then I was kind of thinking about John as, as somebody who does have like a little bit of a hero complex. Like, do we think that that was entirely genuine or was a little bit of it? Like, I will save you. I will be your hero. And like, you know, be this brave, you know, conquering soldier going in. I think it was, I don't think he was afraid. Like he's seen much worse than this. He's used to the adrenaline. He knows how to manage that fear. I think it was him sort of reaching out a hand to her of like, I recognize you're nervous right now. And rather than condescending to you or being like, Hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. He brings himself kind of down to her Mm -hmm. level and is like, Hey, I'm nervous too. We can do this together. He's very gentle with her. And I think, I think that's going to be a lot of how John's character is going to be, which obviously contradicts how we see John later in actual supernatural but he's just very he's just very soft okay (laughs) and I just I love him with everyone he adapts to each person he's talking to so well and I think that's part of what like pulled me into the character so quickly he doesn't he doesn't just try to be like macho you'll oh get over it this is what the adrenaline part of a job is he he really relates to her yeah, I agree. I didn't really take it as him trying to be the big strong man in the situation. I think Mary put him in his place pretty effectively earlier <laughs> yeah. on. That's what Mary, that's just that's just her function is just whenever John thinks he's doing like, a good thing, Mary's down. like, sit down. <laughs> yeah, no, I fully agree with what Brianna said. I think he was just kind of lowering himself to her level and trying to encourage her because I think, mm-hmm. you know, she's been maybe not pretty vocal, but I think it's very obvious that this is something that she wants to pursue like she wants to explore herself as a hunter more and they're both you know kind of new I mean you know Carlos and Mary are the veterans here so I think it was just being like hey like we can do this together and it doesn't have to be terrifying or even if it is terrifying you know like we're here 
with you. And I think that's very sweet. I also noticed that other little jealous glance back that Mary had, which a lot of it, I'm like, obviously some of it's because, you know, there's some flirty vibes going on between Mm -hmm. them, which I didn't feel like that was what that was in that moment. But I think a lot of it is like, we've talked about this before. Lata is like very much the like sweet, like nice, (laughs) safe choice. And while Mary's like actively trying to like push John away from her. Mary is a gigantic pain in the ass. And Lata (laughs) is just this adorable, sweet little like. (laughs) like Yeah. So I feel like at times she's also just like jealous of the life that, I mean, obviously something happened to Lata, but like. You know, no, I mean, you something know what I'm bad really something happened, bad to happened to her, but many something bads have happened to Mary. So I think she just sees like the life that she could have had in Lata. And that's mm-hmm. also why she's like actively trying to push them both away from this and maybe even towards each other later in the season. I feel like that's a thing that she would do, but. And so now we get to the part that I really loved. I loved this so much. This was directed perfectly. This The stunt coordination team did a great job. I loved this entire sequence, the, the two separate fights that happen when you have uh, Carlos and Lata and Ada slash the demon. Um, and then you also have Mary and John in the, and this is, I thought that it was a Rougarou. Like that's what I thought the creature was. I have been corrected. Um, apparently it's a Lugaru. I'm not probably not saying it right because my high school French is as horrific as you would expect. Um, but I I love that fight. The shot of them when they first go down the um, shaft and they, they land at the bottom and they do the circular shot around them with like the water coming down. Stunning. Loved it. Um, I love the way that they had Lata just... <laughs> like fangirling about being in this place and then instantly being like oh crap there's a demon behind me what do I do I thought that was really cute too going back to the like Ruguru versus Luguru thing Mm -hmm. so they're like kind of used interchangeably in like Louisiana lore so I'm not sure I don't know like what the angle was here I feel like they were trying to distinguish it as like a a different a completely different like a regional monster. monster yeah so i thought that was really interesting um because in supernatural uh correct me if i'm wrong i think fire is like the thing that kills rugurus like you have to you came to the wrong person if you oh, want to okay. remember well, <laughs> what killed a monster on super i'm like i'm I glad that they it. did it <laughs> i know it's, yeah. it's something you can look up <laughs> it is yeah. fire it is in fact fire according to uh supernatural.fandom.com okay <laughs> i was about to google it too <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, my family's from Louisiana. I'm so I just think it's really interesting to see kind of that like a uh, New Orleans like culture sprinkled in, especially since you know we're filming in New Orleans, which is really exciting yeah. and fun. I'm gonna so, need you to ask your family if they have heard of a Rougarou yeah. and or a Lugaru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For we got we got to ask the real differences. As as Louisiana natives, we need to know. Um, but it also kind of brings us to to that moment with John and you know digging shrapnel out of his arm. Uh, for the fact for- that that monster is so large and he thinks that tiny piece of shrapnel <laughs> of silver is going to do anything like God even, bless you and your puppy Mary, dog soul, but no. <laughs> Mary was looking at him like, "Are you like you need to take a seat, buddy? Like that's not enough." But the, I love the symbolism of John using literally a piece of someone that he couldn't save to try and save this girl like like it very much felt like like he was trying to make up for not being able to save Murph which is a a thing that 
we know is very common in Supernatural is people not letting people go when you can't save them. Um, And I also think it was a moment of John being like, and finally I shall be the hero. But, and I feel like I want to know your guys' take on this. Do you feel like it was a little bit of um, self-destruction as well? A little bit of like, I understand that this is kind of like a suicide mission, like that this might not work, but if I go down, I go down swinging. Like that kind of like recklessness that Dean had for so many years on Supernatural. A little bit. I remember I remember my thought when I was watching it was like, oh, that's where uh, Dean gets his self-sacrificing <laughs> gene from. But I'm sure we'll see Mary pull the same kind of stunts. But I felt like it was more of a, he remembered his friend doing that sort of for him. Mm-hmm. And so he was in a way trying to emulate his friend's last moments and help save someone who he views as an innocent in that moment. Maybe I'm just reading way too far into it. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. He sees Mary as someone to be protected for whatever reason. Well, all of them, not necessarily just Mary, but yeah, he's trying to buy her time to get away. I know it's not quite the same situation, but it was sort of a, I'll take the final stand. You get out of here. I I'm kind of between okay well part of what I think it is is I mean he's realized that his search for Henry has if not come to an end is at least at a stalemate and I think he's also very heavily invested in Mary's mission of finding Samuel because he knows that he's probably not going to be able to find Henry and so I think that's some of that kind of leaking into his subconscious um I also think that it goes back to not necessarily like him not being able to save Murph. I mean, that's obviously like a component of it, but I think that's just kind of who he is. I think that's that Winchester gene running in those, in his blood. Um, I feel like he's, he's projecting that, that his life is kind of more inconsequential in this moment than Mary's and all the, you know, all this knowledge that she has and all, especially with the mission, you know, with the box and everything. I feel like he just, feels like she has more unfinished business and maybe that's a bit of that hero complex coming in as well from his experiences with Murph and that I mean he's obviously like crushing on this girl a bit and he doesn't want anything bad to happen (laughs) to her so I think it's a lot of different factors um but I don't think he's doing any of this consciously I I think that all just kind of rolls into who he is as a person and we kind of see that with this conversation later on with Millie about when she's like you need to let this go like I need you to let this go and he's like but mom I can't like I can't let it go I can't do it yeah I like what you just said about um that streak of like the the my life doesn't mean as much as like this other person because that is very much how how Dean used to feel about his life um especially in the earlier seasons of of supernatural and all i can say is every single one of these winchesters should have been in therapy and a lot of things would have been solved (laughs) i did like that you pointing out the fact that it's very dean yeah it's funny but it throws me back to mary talking about she doesn't know what she wants to do after hunting but she wants Mm -hmm. to do something she wants to live long enough to do it it reminds me a lot of sam like that mentality of i don't want to do this forever I'll do it for now until I find my father. And then I'm going back to college. I'm going back to whatever life I want to live. I didn't really catch that parallel the first, you know, four times we watched the (laughs) pre-airing pilot, but yeah. And yet though, still 
the Sam John and Mary Dean parallels are still mm-hmm. there. Like they really did do a, such a good job of like, you can clearly see where each kid gets what from the parents. Like you can see where like these different qualities kind of pass down through the generations. And we also get kind of our first big bit of mythology in that scene as well with the box, the the demon killing, monster killing box we got going on there, which honestly would have been real useful. Uh, or real. Where was that? Where was that? <laughs> they could have used that. Um, and so this is another thing that I want to I want to get your guys' thoughts on. Uh, so I was seeing some people say that they thought that it was glowing purple, like perhaps witchy magic, like perhaps Rowena. Um, and then I saw other people who said that to them it looked a little bit more like grace, like a little bit more angelic in nature. So what's in the box, as Dean would say. <laughs> what's in the box? Um, I thought it was purple. Um, it also kind of like, I feel like it lit up um, Latika's eyes like a little bit. It, the the like whiff of, I don't know, whoosh. magical <laughs> Oh, magic. Um, <laughs> the like whoosh of magical box dust. Um, something I did want to point dust. out really. <laughs> <laughs> the whoosh of magical Cut box that out. dust. Cut that out. I'm not going to cut that out. That's brilliant. I That just popped right out of my mouth. There <laughs> That's was no beautiful. Filter. There was we're, none. We're absolutely keeping that in. Continue, Kennedy. <laughs> One of the things that I uh, wanted to mention, it's it's really interesting. And I know Jules was saying a little bit about this earlier, how, you know, it, demons aren't just like a regular schmegular day for these people. You know, <laughs> it's like they, they can't kill them under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, because the first thing in my mind is like, oh, well, they can just use the knife. They can just use Ruby's knife. They don't have Ruby's they knife. They don't have it. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's a game changer for them. I, I don't necessarily think that it's... Okay, here we go. So, you know, the Men of Letters like stole a lot of their technology and stuff from witches. So mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a stretch necessarily to think that maybe there's some like magic imbued in the box. But I don't really think that it was tied to like witches themselves. If anything, mm-hmm. I think it's just they just stole some stuff and pilfered as they do as they did um yeah more on that in our deep dive into the men of letters if you don't know what we're talking about go give it a listen yeah definitely self plugs and and you can tell that we're holding back so much because theories corner is coming and and so we want to we do want to kind of get into a little bit more there but i just thought it was interesting because i saw so many people having different conversation about it and i was like is it my tv or is it like like i thought it was blue but now I'm like completely questioning. This is one of those where it was like, I was paying attention to what was happening unless like, don't ask me the color of anything. Like I wasn't, I wasn't fully focused on that. Apparently it was it's more like, like, it's like that dress that went viral a couple of years yeah. ago. Some people saw it was white and gold and some people saw it was blue and black. I feel like it's a similar thing here. I also do wonder, and I, I I'll extend a little bit of grace to the, the production team. I do kind of wonder if maybe that was a little bit more of a intentional misdirect like kind of making it a little bit grace-like, but also making it a little bit witch-like um, just in case they need that down the line, kind of making it a little bit harder to to tell where that came from. Um, so I, I, it might not be a definitive answer either way. I kind of thought it looked a little witchy, but um, we'll have to see, I guess, what that looks like. Maybe we can send it a poll. What do you guys think? Do you think it was more yeah, blue, yeah, yeah. more purple? You- we'll do one. <laughs> it's 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 like the uh, it's like the, the the um in Sleeping Beauty when they have pink, blue, pink, and blue, and we're like back and forth. We're like witches, angels, witches, angels. <laughs> Maybe it's. I kind of feel like it's going to end up being a little bit. See, this is into theories corner. This is why I wasn't talking. 
<laughs> I agree with Kennedy that it's probably going to be something to do with the men of letters just kind of pilfering yeah. it and their own little brand of magic. This is what it looks like when it's not witches doing the magic. It's humans trying to perform said spell and it doesn't quite come out like it should. <laughs> budget magic. It's the budget, budget magic. magic. <laughs> there we go. Men of letters, budget magic. Um, so after that scene, after we see a little bit more of that mythology, which like very clearly they're introducing uh your your big piece of equipment that's going to be necessary for the rest of the season um we get that nice scene with john and millie um which i don't know if i'm the only one but i was like pretty much openly weeping at the part where we heard the music um throughout the episode jay grushka who also did the score for supernatural was was putting was really ringing out the heartstrings um with some really great music i love the new score the new melody that he has for john and mary I thought that was really sweet and pretty, but that moment he uses a little bit of Dean's theme and also like the theme that they always used to play when there was like something dramatic, like from a family perspective happening and who boy, that, that hit right in the chest. I think all of us, when we watched the original, um, the, the first like pilot version that was still there. We, they actually, it was one of the few pieces of music that they actually had in the, in the first version. Um, cause it was still unfinished at that point. And I think we all reacted to it then, and I certainly reacted to it again yesterday. Yeah, I think it's just hard for us not to have, like, a visceral reaction <laughs> to, to, like, Dean's theme at this point, because it was, you know, it was just started into so many important moments mm-hmm. and so many emotional moments in the original mm-hmm. series that it's, you know, you just react. You just react. It's it's the little piano bit where it's like, do, 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 do. Like, it's just, you hear it, and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> You can't do this to me. You can't. This I didn't is... even realize what it was at first, but I was like, why do I feel like I'm going to cry? <laughs> yeah, like, why do I feel like Why am I suddenly so emotional? <laughs> and then realized and was like, ah. And I, I feel like this is, there. this is Supernaturals and the Winchester's version of, like, you know, on, on Grey's Anatomy, it's always like you hear how to save a life or like, <laughs> or chasing cars and you just instantly like start like, oh, sobbing. No. You're like, crap. No, but I mean, it works so well for that moment because John's saying all those things to his mom about like, I, I was meant to do this. This is like, you know, I, I know that this is like my purpose in life. Like it sounded so much like an echo of his children later. Um, and even when Millie, she has that line where she's like, when you have kids someday, you'll understand. And I think all of us instantly went, ooh, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> right in the chest. Ow, Robbie, <laughs> why would you do that? But that's kind of why I'm looking forward to exploring their relationship, I think, as the season goes on. And the, we'll talk about this a little bit, but the description for next week definitely makes it seem like we're going to be getting a little bit of um, Millie-John relationship action, what's going on there. Um which I think will be really great to see, even if it will break our hearts repeatedly. Well, their dynamic is going to be so interesting because he left a teenager that she had to care for and mm-hmm. he came back a like fully grown man that doesn't, I mean, he still needs his mom. Everyone needs their mom, but doesn't need his mom to function, you know, day to day. And she's still going to be in like, I need to know where you are at all times mode. And he's going to be like, I'm off killing monsters. Bye mom. And there's no cell phone, so it's not like he's going to text her and be like, sorry, mom, exactly. I got held up. I had to I had to go kill that monster. <laughs> Bummer. I need a few funny, like, payphone shots of him just being like, I know. hey, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so uh, driving to Savannah right now. Yeah. I'll see you when I see you. I don't know. <laughs> it would be very funny from, from a lot of perspectives. That would be pretty fun. 
And of course, the other part about that scene, another bit of the mythology that kind of is going into it is that we have the letter uh, that's read by Gil McKinney, um, who was the original um, Henry Winchester on Supernatural. And I certainly hope that we get to see him a little bit again. Um, That was really emotional and cool. And I love that. I feel like it was a nice little touch to have him be the one doing the voice there. Yeah, I don't know how they would pull him in anymore because I know he's, you know, he disappeared when John was young. But I would love to have even just little flashback moments and have Gil appear just for a little something or another, like they find another letter because, you know, they already had him find Henry's locker. So there's presumably other stuff where they could have different little voiceover moments like that. You know, it's it's small moments, but it. It's the it's the nostalgia, I guess, Mm -hmm. and really just having that familiar how it fits into the world really makes it feel like supernatural again. Yeah. I think that they're going to pull him in. Um, I, I don't think he's going to like physically be Henry on screen, but I do think they'll have him like voice over some other stuff because I know uh, recently Jensen was like talking about, uh, he was teasing like, yeah, like Gil's coming back in some capacity. And obviously we have this now, but I just, I don't know. That's just my gut feeling. I think he's going to do a little bit more, but And of course, the reason that they're going to Savannah is because they find out this information about these new creatures called the Akrita, which we haven't um, seen before in in supernatural lore, or at least we haven't heard that name in supernatural lore, TBD, if it's it's something that we know. Um, Theory corner. Uh, But essentially, the way that Ada describes them is like they're trying to destroy everything. They want to destroy the monsters, but they also want to destroy humans as well. They want to just get rid of this world entirely. Um, And there is so much to say about that and what they could be and what their purpose could be and how they might tie into the general mythology. But I'm I'm intrigued. I, I think they could be really cool. I think something that I'm also thinking about, I mean, obviously, I think that the creator are going to live up to like the big bad status. Yes. But something that just automatically popped into my head is like, is this a 1970s big bad? We don't have a demon killing knife big bad. Or is this something, you know, completely new? And it's like even a scale that, you know, on on the mothership, as they like to call it, would have been like, oh, crap. Like, I I think that's going to be interesting to see how powerful the monster is in terms of other things that we've seen before because something that popped into my head oh my gosh i'm like literally blanking on what they were called but that one episode where they um sam and dean went to like one of the other like little bunkers that the men of letters had and you know that like weird like tentacle cthulhu looking (laughs) coming through the ceiling and like trying to attack that girl that they had like tied down and everything that's kind of what popped into my head when they're like creatures from another dimension coming to destroy us all so (laughs) i don't know it could be i i think that it's um and we'll get into this more in theory corner i think but i i do think that it might be a monster that we've seen before and we're calling it something different um because that's their frame of reference for it and that's all i'm gonna say about that for right now we will talk about that in a minute and of course the information that we got about the akrita leads right into a very emotional moment for i think everybody we heard his voice a little bit in the beginning um obviously with his narration which was emotional enough um but then in this last part we actually see him Dean Winchester, uh, the return of Dean Winchester uh, and his and his baby. Ah, uh, man. It, I mean, first of all, just to even hear him again was was 
tough <laughs> I, I in in the best way like it was good obviously like I, I missed him we all missed him very dearly um but to actually see him uh that was pretty crazy and i i think um they i think it was good that they saved it for the end to see him at the end because it let you kind of spend an episode with these new characters um you kind of weren't it wasn't that you weren't thinking about him but you kind of got lost in the new world and so you weren't like i wasn't thinking the whole time like where's dean where's dean where's dean because like i i heard the narration i figured oh okay like we'll have him in the narration that'll be how we'll we'll see him in this episode but to have him kind of be the sucker punch at the end uh yeah bit emotionally devastated how about you (laughs) i really liked it i liked that it was the voiceover at the beginning Mm -hmm. and i mean obviously we knew before it came out that we were gonna see him because there were images and stuff But like you said, I like that it was at the end. It sort of felt like, here's your intro. Here's where we are. And then at the end, we see Dean and it's sort of like, come along for this ride with me. It was almost like him welcoming you back. And the way the shot is done with him in the front seat and everything. And he says, I'll keep picking the music. It felt like I was the passenger watching it. Like you are now Dean's passenger. You're going on this ride with him Mm -hmm. to find out, you know, the truth of what happened and da, 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 da. So I I really liked it. It made me very emotional. I am also not ashamed of how big the smile was on my face whenever they flashed it up there and he's leaning against the car writing in his journal. It's like Dean's journal now instead of John's journal. (laughs) Don't say that. That's so sad. Oh my God. It's not sad. It's well, it's 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 bittersweet. It's bittersweet, (laughs) right? Because the last time we saw Dean on screen like where he wasn't in heaven was a pretty, I mean, I think we can say it's a pretty traumatic experience to watch that character die um, in the series finale of Supernatural. And so having him kind of well and back on our screens, we can't really say for sure alive because we don't really know where he's narrating from or, or, or what his kind of purpose is theory corner. Um, But like, just to see him like in action again and behind the wheel of the Impala and that, that was, it meant a lot, I think, um, f- to see that. And it kind of helped with the, I don't want to say trauma, because it's not trauma on a level that like it warrants that, but it, but it kind of helped soothe that hurt a little bit. I don't want to say that, like, I think they did a very good job of kind of just introducing him at the end, because, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we were all delighted to see him, but I think they're very, they're being very conscientious about not letting Dean detract from the actual meat of the story yeah i mean i think we're going to be seeing dean more because the way that the series is being framed is he's digging for answers and maybe interfering a little bit we're not really sure yet but um i i I just think that they did in a very tasteful way it wasn't just him in the car it was him Mm -hmm. in the car and there was the necklace and he messes Mm -hmm. with the radio and in the back seat is the cooler like they Mm -hmm. did all the little details that really made the show what it was it wasn't just all right we got him in the car it's fine yep like there was a lot of love and care put into those 30 seconds yeah not to like jump to theory corner but no let's go to theory corner well yeah i was i was gonna say yeah we should probably jump to theory corner at this point because i know that we all have (laughs) so many (laughs) so many thoughts yeah so going off what jules was saying one of the things that i was uh kind of conscientious about when I in Dean's 30 little seconds on screen uh were some of the signs that might be telling us when in the like original supernatural timeline that his like journey for answers is taking place 
Um, so one of the things that was very like obvious to me right off the bat, and I, I've probably talked about this before because I know we did briefly go into it in one of the other episodes, but um the Samulet is around his like rear front rear view mirror, which had been like thrown away in the past. So I feel like that's kind of something interesting to note. Mm-hmm. And the original like Kaz plate on baby is the one that we see on screen, not the one that got, that it got switched to later mm-hmm. on the like, yeah. And so I think that's maybe a case of like, is this taking place in heaven? I think also just like the color palette was a little bit off compared mm-hmm. to what, we're used to seeing which could have been an intentional choice could have not been oh i think it was i think it was an intentional choice (laughs) it it just doesn't look like the you know regular supernatural of the later seasons color palette even the earlier seasons were more like noir and and it was different from the rest of the episode itself too that's the thing it wasn't even like it was matching the wind like it was very much its own like color scheme and the way he's talking in the narration makes you think i think he's telling sam the story and if he's telling Sam the story through this journal, I think it points to maybe this is what Dean was doing with himself from Until when he died to when Sam, Sam showed up. Yeah. Um, which is which would make sense with like the little details you were just mentioning. It would make sense with kind of his ability to know so much about the story mm-hmm. and to move back and forth in time. Um, because th- I do have to wonder if at any point we're going to have a moment where Dean actually interacts with his parents, like on uh, Robbie keeps promising some massive twist in, in episode I think, 13. <laughs> I think Dean's going to be the one who delivered the letter, but I don't uh, see this. I will. That's fight another you on this thing. One. This, uh, this <laughs> if one, we're, I, if we're in theory's corner, it, let's talk about it because there's I, like three yeah. options. It's him, it's God, or it's Cass <laughs> or an angel. Like to Dean, me, those God are my three. I yeah, I, three yeah. I don't know that it's going to be Dean only because the way Dean narrated that from the from the advantage point it wasn't like he was saying like oh yeah like I was like in the story it's I'm still trying to find out what happened no um, I think it's future Dean after he finds out some information oh, I think he doesn't even know he's doing it yet ah but I like the idea of it being like an angel or or Chuck or God because like it really speaks to the amount of angelic intervention, right? Because like mm-hmm. something had to happen to get Mary and John to meet. And he wouldn't have been there that night to see the demon if he hadn't gotten that letter. Like they would have had their little moment outside the movie theater and that would have been that. And and who even knows if that moment wasn't staged or set up, you know, whatever. I I would love, really, I would love for it to be either Cass or, or an angel or something like that. I think it would be really interesting to have that be how they bring him back if they've decided to do that. I think another possibility for if if we're going on the angel theory is Gabriel. Mm. I feel like that seems like something he would do. I don't know. <laughs> He's too mischievous and with stuff. He, yeah, I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Those are my my three guesses: Dean, Chuck, or an angel but an angel we, even variety. if we don't like explicitly see any angelic inner like influence i feel like we have to at some point just because we know based on things in the past like john and mary didn't get together organically which is what we've been talking about yeah um in past episodes and i mean obviously they have you know something going on there but you know we don't know how that plays out yet and i feel like they have to just knowing how we are as a fandom and knowing that we oh yeah 
know that there was some type of interference. There, there's got to be some influence there, even if it's just little clues. But um, yeah, I haven't made up my mind, but oh, I, yeah. that is something definitely to focus on because the disappearing, like he just straight up vanished comment yeah. feels really angelic in nature. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, I'm excited to see where that goes. And of course, we only have one episode to go off of. So Theory Corner is somewhat limited. But the other thing we definitely wanted to talk about was the Akrita and what exactly those creatures are. I, I have a, what they're going to be. I have a pet theory that we sort of have talked about a little bit before, but I I think that we may not be in our world uh, that we know or or there's something to this idea of like there being alternate universes because the fact that they're very specifically trying to destroy this entire world it points to me towards some being god or whoever trying to destroy this this particular universe um so uh, for whatever reason or whatever so i can't, part of me wonders if maybe that's what it's going to turn out to be is like some like an angel or like some some kind of creature that they don't have a reference for or that they kind of don't know exists but we have already met in our version of canon i don't know though i could be completely off base as usual you know it's funny because at nycc didn't robbie say he likes to have the monsters be like googleable but their own version if you google akrita there's nothing i can't find anything yeah no exactly that's the other thing too is that like it's not a creature that exists in mythology it's it's totally their own invention and so it's kind of like okay if they're gonna go ahead and invent a creature whereas the other creature in this episode is very much a real creature that's rooted in mythology why like why are they making up this this creature to be a big bad yeah something else is just so i i really liked your theory jules about it not being uh in our timeline or in our universe or something but when you were talking about that it kind of just made me think like why are we trying to destroy this particular universe what's so special about this world if assuming we're not in the one that we know and love from canon because just from like stuff like later on in the series you know we kind of know that uh the the universe that like sam and dean were in was really unique just because you know all of chuck's versions of all of the characters didn't do what they wanted him to and or you know there was all this stuff going on and this one just seemed to kind of be the holdout so like i don't know maybe was there like some other version of this where it looked like it was starting to pan out in a way that chuck didn't like so he sent the akrita to i don't know i feel like no i be, like, fully agree can you imagine if they like, did um, many seasons and it was like every season was a different universe and just at the end of every season everybody dies destroying every <laughs> just everything every gets destroyed and it's like and the Akrita one all right season two here's season a new two one. <laughs> and it's a different universe like Groundhog Day but different worlds <laughs> yeah I kind of wonder if they're maybe setting us up in episode thirteen for a universe in which um. And this kind of would be a very interesting thing for them to do and to kind of also give allow themselves to have a little bit longer of a life as as the Winchesters. I do wonder if maybe there's something to Dean teaming up with this version of his parents to give them the chance of the lives that they wanted. Um, whether that be sending them to an alternate universe, whether that whatever it is, I do think it would be an interesting thing. And what would help the show like help the winchesters moving forward is if you could say okay we are taking you out of the main storyline we're allowing you to have 
your own story. How do we do that? We would have to put you in an AU, basically. I don't know if that's the way it's going to be. Obviously, they want Dean to be narrating this, I would think, for, you know, a few more seasons to come. And how would that work if you put them in an alternate universe? But I do think it would be it would be interesting if that was kind of the, the end game and why Robbie is so intent on getting us to watch the season, the mid-season finale, hopefully the mid-season finale. I'm also not, like, ruling out Dean messing with stuff as dean does um just because of who he is as a character a but b i'm not sure like what interview it was and i only really saw like a a couple sections of it so i could just be taking this out of context but there was an interview that jensen did i think it might have been with entertainment weekly and he's talking about you know like how interesting would it be if you know kind of going off what you said um if if jensen if dean had the opportunity to you know go back and change some things that he thought would help his family and be this ideal version of how he thought his life should have panned out so i don't know no i i that that man doesn't throw him and robbie um are the kings of throwing in like little throwaway lines in an interview they're like oh wouldn't it be hilarious if this happened and then like six months later you're like curse you you were telling Mm -hmm. us in, in advance I, I do think it would be because they're also very adamant and they've been so adamant about we are not changing original canon in any way, shape or form. Um, and really the only way for you to do that over time uh, would be to somehow spin them off into their own world. So I would be very interested to see what if, if that's potentially what they're doing. Um, and then this last bit is a little bit more um, character based. Obviously, we want to know more about Carlos and Mary and and that whole deal, what happened there. We want to know more about Lata's background, how she kind of came in to be hunting at all. Um, And then I'm also really interested to know about John and Murph a little bit more and more broadly about John and his time in Vietnam, because you know that it really affected him. And we've seen behind the scenes photos that indicate that we are going to get more flashbacks to that time period in his life. um, And that clearly he's going to be dealing with PTSD over the course of the season. So I'm just I'm kind of interested to know if there was anything about Vietnam also that was like angelically influenced, like obviously he had to get out alive, right? Because he had to come home. Was there any aspect of it that it was like somebody else died so he lived? Like things like that. I would find that very interesting to explore. And kind of wrapping up Theory Corner here, I've decided to make a a music segment here because I'm annoying and I love music and the music on the show is great. I also I want so I want to do a little mixtape corner where we talk about some of the cool music that they were using in all these episodes because they really do use like such cool music and it it very much um, felt like the original in that way. And the music supervision on this show is done by Justin Camps, who also worked on the last couple seasons of Supernatural. He's worked on Bridgerton and Nancy Drew and just is really great at, at his job. So the songs that we heard in the pilot were Walking After Midnight by Patsy Cline, um, All Right Now by Free, and I'd Love to Change the World by 10 Years After. And I thought all three of those were really great. And the other thing we want to talk about in Music Corner with our little mixtape corner is that from here on out after the pilot, all of the episode titles are actually songs um, from the 70s. The next episode that's coming out next week is called Teach Your Children Well, um, which is a lyric from the song Teach Your Children um, by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young um, from 1970. And that song is uh, an emotionally devastating <laughs> anti-war song uh, with some choice lyrics that I think are going to definitely play into John's season, story this season, I think. Um, Brianna is currently having a, a a mental breakdown reading the lyrics to the song. I have never heard this song, so I am reading the lyrics, and I am so upset. 
These are so <laughs> upsetting and disturbing. Like, I don't think I even want to hear this song. It Well, I mean, it is like an anti-war song and very like... Um, Apropos for the episode, because, and I will read the description for the next episode, why not? Um, John and Millie are on different pages about his new interest in hunting, and Ada tries to bridge the gap. Mary follows a trail from her father that points to the disappearance of a teenage boy in Topeka. Meanwhile, Carlos has a heart-to-heart with Mary as Latika dives into her books to identify the monster. Um, And this one's going to be directed by John Showalter, who obviously we know um, from the original show, was a uh, iconic director in the original Supernatural. and. it's written by Robbie Thompson and David H. Goodman. So we're going to, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a bit of a, bit of a doozy from an emotional perspective. They're also fighting zombies, according to the trailer, which I just think is hilarious given uh, Meg Donnelly's past. That was a jab. <laughs> that was a jab at Meg. <laughs> oh, you know, the second they cast Meg, they were like, all right, second episode, zombies. Um, hopefully she doesn't fall in love with one and start a musical. <laughs> Kennedy just gave me such a disappointed look. <laughs> anyway, um, and Kennedy really wants to take some time to talk about potential theme songs for this show because she has a list, a running list of, of the songs that she wants. Supernatural's unofficial theme song became Carry On, Wayward Song by Kansas, as mm-hmm. all OG fans will know and instantly get flashbacks if you hear it in the store, which happens to me quite often. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, yeah, there's no, they, they stuck with the like weird whoosh, we noises. We couldn't figure out how to intro. say the sound, but you <laughs> guys know this? what we mean, right? The like whoosh. There's happens. just a lot of like letters on our outline page. It's hilarious to watch, <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, but we all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I was wondering, I, I don't think that they're going to do Carry On Wayward Son as the, if if they adopt an uh, unofficial theme song or an official theme song, I, I don't think they'd reuse that. Uh, they might like pepper it in somewhere um yeah. I don't know near the end of the series which hopefully is a long ways off yeah but um I just wanted to ask I don't remember which one of these were were mine which one were y'all's but I know one that I really thought would be good is well that was kind of a pun on accident is Johnny Be Good by, <laughs> <laughs> by Chuck Berry yeah. um some some of the other ones that we had on here we're on the road again obviously I think that's a little jab at ourselves there <laughs> but um, it does fit it does work it does um rock and roll never forgets which one of these were y'all's I don't remember oh, Smoke I, Water was I, mine. I think I think don't fear the reaper was I think that was mine that's mostly just because I like that song a whole lot the one that I put in there for no reason at all and mostly just because I like the vibe is California Dreamin' because even though they're not like I, I know that it's not really um it doesn't really fit the plot of the show, but I just, I like the sound of it. It's kind of eerie. I think it would fit with the show very well. I just keep thinking of the one that I was really campaigning for in my brain was Johnny Be Good. Cause I think that little <laughs> opening like trail is just like, it a is good, fun. Like, oh, we're on the road feel. And just the little, like, it, it's a little down on in the Louisiana, nose though, with, with back to the New future, Orleans. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it just felt, it felt like a good choice, but what what do y'all think? Let us know on Twitter. Yeah. Shoot definitely us a tweet. Let us know. We had a poll sometime back, but I, it's probably lost to <laughs> lost to the to the archives at this point. I do, I do, line. I do hope um that I'm gonna try to keep up writing down all the songs that that um they use during the episodes on Twitter at the end of each week. Um, because I do think it's kind of cool. And music supervisors are very cool people who don't get a lot of credit for the amazing work that they do in getting some of these songs on TV and and picking the right songs for the right moments. And I think that they did a great job this episode with that. So yeah. 
this would normally be where we sort of end our episode. Um, but we wanted to talk about some news that we got out of New York Comic Con and also just talk about New York Comic Con a little bit more generally. Um, because Nerds and Beyond was there, um, I had the opportunity to sit down um, with some of the cast and crew from the Winchesters, which was really great. They, they were all lovely, lovely people to talk to. Um, and we also found out that Tom Welling is going to be joining the show as Samuel Campbell, which I think is awesome. Like, how cool is that? From the crowd reaction, I mean, I wasn't there, just I saw videos. <laughs> um, I had a little bit of FOMO, so, so glad that you got <laughs> to go. Jules did amazing. Go read her her interview. It was really good. And uh, Robbie and Daniel and Jensen and Megan Drake all gave some really good answers. Check it out. Um, but it seemed like the crowd was really psyched about, about Tom Welling yes. coming on as Samuel. Uh, the Smallville, the Smallville era skipped me. I think I'm a bit too young to Boo. have been in the thick of Boo. it. Don't you say and I'm I, too young? <laughs> yeah, they're so old, guys. There, you are the olds there. Thanks. But as as the resident youth, um, listen, I'm <laughs> older than both of you, and I miss the Smallville completely. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. Well, it's, it's more that. that it's more that it's a good connection with um, Jensen, and because for people who don't know, Jensen um, was in Smallville in season four. That was, um, and actually, fun fact was also in the running for the main role. It was, I believe, it actually ended up coming down to him and Tom Welling. So that's just kind of a nice. It's nice that they're still friends to this day, and I think it's really going to be cool to have him on um, as Samuel. It's a nice little bit of like CW history coming into this new show. And also, yeah, you're right. The crowd reaction in the room was overwhelmingly positive. And to to see him on stage with everybody was really cool. I very much am looking forward to seeing how he comes into the show. Um, they did tell us that he's coming in around episode seven. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens around that point in time, for sure. Which is kind of late, if you think about it. It, it feels very much mm-hmm. throwback to season one where we're like, where's dad? And, where's John? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Running around. <laughs> No, totally. Uh, yeah. And and overall, New York Comic Con was a really cool experience. I think um, we learned a lot of really cool stuff, um, both from the interviews that I did and also the interviews other people did. Um, I think that the number one thing that really came through both on stage at their panel and backstage at the press area was just how much these people care um, about this show. I mean, Drake was just lighting up talking about it talking about the experience of working with with jensen and getting to get into this character um it's so clear that he and meg have both really done their homework on this like really care meg genuinely was getting teary um seeing people's reactions to the pilot seeing that people liked it so i i I think that everyone involved from the top down really cares um and wants this to be a success and also i did want to add because we're finally getting ratings from last night as of the time of this recording um we're finally kind of getting the ratings come in and the episode was officially the highest rated uh cw debut this year for a new show it was actually only second behind walker for the season premiere um this fall so that's really great um So, and that'll get even probably even better once we factor in like delayed viewing and everything like that. So I I think that the show has been well-received. I've seen good reactions to it, you know, on on the Twitterverse so far. And obviously the ratings bear that out. Um, And I'm just hoping that these guys get the chance to tell the story that they so clearly are planning because it looks, it sounds like it's going to be really amazing. Yeah. And for anyone who wasn't completely sold, even by the pilot, which I don't know how, but if you were, (laughs) I hope you'll give it, you know two three four episodes before you really like dip out 
because yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of story establishment and character establishment happening throughout that. Because, you know, if you think about every show you've ever loved, the pilots through like what episode four ish, it usually takes about that long for them to really get into the groove of who the characters are, of the story, the feel of everything. So as much as I loved it already as it is, I know there's going to be a little bit of growing pains there. So mm-hmm. for having loved it so much, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Well, that's our show for this week. Be sure to check back soon for our weekly coverage of the Winchesters. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SPN on the road pod and make sure to head over to at nerds and beyond for all your nerdy news. This week's episode was edited by Jules Thompson and produced by Brianna Lester Kennedy Lynch and Jules Thompson for Nerds and Beyond. Our theme music is by Kennedy Lynch. 